Welcome, everyone, to the CavsCorner.com podcast. CavsCorner.com, your source for sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place where Franklin Estate in the West End of Richmond, where it is uh, Wednesday, January the 11th, as we record this podcast, um, at least as of now. Um, there are some, some games being played around the ACC tonight. Um, it'll be interesting to see sort of how they kind of uh, shake out. Um, and we will talk about what has <laughs> been a very interesting beginning to the ACC slate uh, in 2017. Um, I guess 2016, 2017, te- technically. So, yeah, we're going to talk ACC hoops, specifically Virginia hoops. We'll talk about um, where kind of things are for the Cavaliers now and, and maybe where they, they, they might be headed uh, starting this weekend down in Clemson and then going to Boston College and then um, starting a kind of a um, a couple what I think are some, some must-wins considering the big picture. Um, let's go around and introduce everybody. Um, out in Fishersville tonight, David Spence is on the on the podcast. Welcome back, sir. Thank you, Bradley. It's always good to be here. Who Dave's on the board at Who Dave's on Twitter. And Cavs Corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for our in-game updates, content items, and the occasional witty banter. Uh, as you will notice, no Justin Ferber intro tonight because he uh, he was a late scratch with a with a throat. Um, his his text to David. Upper extremity. He was like, "Hey, could you guys soldier on without me?" And I I was I joked with him like, "Yeah, I don't you know, as long as you get that preview done." But um, he, he apparently has no voice, which is kind of problematic to do a podcast for. Uh, I suppose you know he could have like texted us or like you know like uh, messaged us what he wanted to say, and we could like read it off. And it had been like that one time where like you couldn't hear him and he couldn't hear you, but I could hear you both. <laughs> Uh, and I had to like relay, you know. What, so oh, here's yeah. what he said. So here's what he said. So here's what he said. Uh, so yeah, uh, hopefully Ferber feels better, uh, and we will catch up with him next week. So Dave and I um, gonna gonna soldier on uh, without him. So so Virginia goes out, loses to Pitt um, after losing to Florida State, uh, and then the Cavaliers come back and, and beat uh, Wake Forest. Um, did you what did you see in that game uh, Sunday night? to make you feel good and what did you see in that game Sunday night that concerned you let's start with the good and we'll we'll we'll, we'll transition over to the bad once you're done I, the good it's the first time this year I've really started to see us wear a team down um we kind of talked about it in some other podcasts but just with the size we had the last few years it was always like that 12 to go in the second half teams were hanging around but just our physicality just at that point they couldn't keep up anymore and this was literally the first time I've seen it all year in a, a game against a opponent with some some talent that we have just worn a team down. And you could see it. Wake just started to lose their legs. Um, now, you know, as far as that, was, that was my highlight. Um, and some of that might have to do with starting lineup, but I think a lot of it was just to do with the fact that, you know, we played well um, and we're at home, which never hurts. Um, the bad, I mean... I think for Virginia, it's you, you've got to have Kyle Guy scoring um, a two-game slump since he was inserted into the starting lineup at Pitt. Yeah, that would be my bad, just because you know I think where we go is dependent on a second score. Mary all made up for it on Sunday night, so that would be my good and bad. I um, I had this thought the uh, that night driving back. And I haven't said a word to anybody about it. I've specifically saved this for the podcast. I didn't talk about it on any radio shows. I'm specific. This is specific to you guys, okay? And if this is stupid, we're going to pretend like I didn't do that. Okay. I was thinking about it, and, and your point about Kyle, he goes, what, 0 for 4 from the floor, right, in that game, right? Um, yeah. I think that 
I would have told you before those these last three before the basically before the the ACC slate started in earnest. I would have told you that Virginia needed to have big contributions from him offensively. And, and I don't, I don't necessarily think that's wrong. I think that's just a little bit mis, um, misappropriated. I think of it like, think of it like a, like the Avengers, okay? And I know that there are varying degrees of nerds out there, but my point here is that <laughs> that a basketball team needs one dude, right? One alpha, right? One guy who scores a bunch of points. For Virginia this season, that alpha is going to change periodically. Sometimes it's going to be London Perantes. Probably more often than not, it's going to be London Perantes. I mean, he he had a really nice night. Uh, seven for what? Seven for thirteen from the floor. Six to six from the line. Uh, one turnover um, in thirty-five minutes. I mean, that's that's quality, right? He hunted his shot. I think he did a good job of handling the ball. He looked he looked like he was completely engaged, despite having uh, taken a rib, uh, taken a, an elbow or something to the rib, uh, and having to kind of wear a pad for a while. Um, but this is a good example because in this game he was like the lead superhero, right? And 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 the thing about the Avengers is is that they they are a group of 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 superheroes, but they have to have somebody who leads them. And Captain America is the guy. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna jettison the the the, the nerd um, analogy for now. But my point here is that you got to have one guy who does that, and then you need three other guys. Okay, it doesn't matter who those three other dudes are. Okay, in this game, those dudes were Devin Hall, who I thought I think is having a str- very strong season, both ends of the floor. Here he plays 31 minutes. You know, he scores 13. He grabs eight rebounds. Um, he has a couple of assists and one turnover uh, in 31 minutes. I-, I think he's doing a great job of handling the ball. Uh, I think he's doing a great job of making good decisions. He's knocking down shots, which is which is very important. Um, and 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 he's being aggressive. Uh, and he's doing it consistently, and I think he's he's staying within himself. He's he's he, he, at times he he likes to get a little bit um, a little bit a uh, little bit happy around the rim, trying to make things a little bit more difficult for himself than he needs to. Um, but I thought he did a good job. Uh, Mariel Shayok, right, gets his first start of the season, comes out balling, right, scores seventeen. You know he 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 looked uh, confident. He looked uh, decisive decisive in his in his motion and in, in his actions, and I thought. You know that last three notwithstanding, I thought he had a very, very good game that was somewhat expected given what you were watching. And then I think you you have to count to me at least Isaiah Wilkins, right? Uh, I realized that that he only scored seven points, but he had four block shots, um, um, which is funny because I think Kim Palm actually gives him credit for five. Um, he had a couple steals, he had a couple of assists. He was the the last guy in the group of, of 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 superheroes that you need to like take care of business. It doesn't matter who those three guys are night to night to night. You just need consistent scoring and consistent production. And I think you can have a night like this where Kyle Guy struggles, right? And you can have another night where maybe Mariel Shayak struggles and maybe um Isaiah Wilkins isn't giving you that, but maybe Darius Thompson, uh Mamadi Diakite and Kyle Guy are, right? And I think that that's the thing we have to look for, which is quality from multiple guys. And that's just going to be the way it is. You're not going to have Malcolm Brogdon going out there scoring, you know, 17, 16 a game and being this consistent thing that you can count on, right? You're going to have to be the, the consistent thing you're going to count on is, is that, the, that, that four of this group of 10 are going to make plays. Um, you know, Jared Reuter, for example, he only plays eight minutes in this game. But he was a key cog in what would have been a very impressive kind of comeback win against um, Pitt had they been able to to you know to get that W late. Um, you know he was he was a guy they were able to go down low to uh, and, and score. 
And we've seen other guys have moments. And I just kind of feel like as we think about this team going forward, I don't want to say it's wrong to think about consistency from guys' specifics, right? I think you should expect Perantes and Hall to continue to be there. Will it always be Shayok? Will it always be Wilkins? You would think it might because they're upperclassmen, but it could just as easily be some of those other dudes. So that's my good to me is that I think for the first time this season, I have a very good appreciation for exactly who UVA is. They are very chameleon, right? And And when you try to change up a little bit, sometimes you're going to get bit. Um, defensively, I thought they tightened up a little bit. I did not think they were quite um, as bad against Pitt, maybe, as the numbers would show, having rewatched it. There were definitely some rotations that were rough. And and I agree with um, – I was talking with Chris Wright from uh, the Sabre. He, the one thing that you notice is when, when guys are closing out on shots, the hand is not necessarily up-up. It's like in front of the face. And so it's, it's not necessarily as impeding the shot as, as it should. And that might be something to keep an eye on going forward. But overall, I just didn't think their defense was as bad, maybe, as a lot of folks did. Um, I, I thought their defense in this game was a little bit better, maybe, than some people would think, too. Um, but I also thought there were some, there were some rough moments, where the little things at times can get away from them, which is, which is weird for a Tony Bennett team. Um, the only negative I saw was they still do not know how to play with contact. And I don't necessarily specifically just mean getting to the free throw line, though that is a problem. Um, obviously, in this game, because Wake started to foul late, it got a little bit out of hand. And so those numbers that Virginia has in terms of free throw shooting are going to look okay for a while. But we all know the truth, and the truth is, is that they're still going to struggle to get to the line, and I think that's a big problem. In this game, what I saw was on both ends of the floor, both defensively and offensively, I thought guys um, didn't know how to either initiate contact correctly on defense without getting called for fouls um, or guys who didn't understand uh, how to get a call on offense. I'm not saying they need to go out there and start, you know, head whipping. Um, That's not my point. I don't want them to start pretending like they're getting fouled. But they have to demonstrate that they've been fouled. And I think a lot of the time they're called for fouls because they continue to play through the contact they're called. They're not getting fouls because they continue to play through the contact. Does that make sense? Like the same, the same thing is causing the issues on both ends of the floor, different directions. And that's something I think is a that is a was kind of something of a bad sign that I I do want to see them clean up because I think it's important for them. Um, if you notice when they get a couple whistles early in a game, the defense just kind of gets a little bit. Um, I get, gets a little nervous, you know. It's like a like a long tailed cat in a room for the rocking chairs. I mean, they're just all kind of skittish. They don't know that they're not sure what to do. If they can get to that comfort zone, and I understand officials are horrible. We we don't need to go over that. But there is a consistency to it. And once you figure out where that line is, it, it usually sticks there. So, to me, it's about going into the game, understanding that you got to figure out where that where that line is, calibrate yourself to it, and then stick to it. Uh, I think that to me was also something of a, a bad sign. What do you think, Dave? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really know what the answer is to getting more free throws because, um, I mean, London and Devin seem to be the guys who have the frames and the makeup to take contact and still finish. Um, I don't know that that's a part of the game for Thompson or Shayok because um, they're just so crafty in the air um, that, you know, I think it's instinct they're going to try to avoid contact to score. And that's just who they are. Um, but yeah, I think as Hall continues to to play well um, and his confidence continues to, to to improve, and and I think we've seen that every game. I think teams will start reacting to him getting that 
open look from three and he'll be able to start driving some more. And, you know, I think he's a guy, I think we can see some increased free throw attempts out of. And the other thing um, we saw a little bit in the game Sunday night, at least I thought we saw it for the first time was London playing a lot of off the ball on our offensive sets. And I thought we were a lot better, you know, obviously wakes not pressing you down the court the whole game. Um, but our offense were running four smalls, um, and one big, you're not feeding a post. You're not, you know, it's just kind of flares and everything else. So there's really no reason for London to be on the ball. And he's just so crafty coming off the screens in the way he reads them. I think we're a much better team if he doesn't have to dominate the ball on offense. Um, and just, he's such a complete player. I think Virginia's, you know, where we end up this year, if we can get to a place where, where London's more of a, Point guard when needed, but a scoring guard that we that we depend on to score, you know, thirteen to fifteen a game. Mm-hmm, right. Then it's a lot easier for what you were talking about earlier with whether it's. Look, I think we can count on Devin in that eight to twelve point range, just the way he's playing. But whether it's Darius or Mariel or Kyle or even Todd Jerome, um, if you've got those two pieces, and I think it's going to be London and Devin, like you're saying. And I think the way London can be more of a prominent scorer is just keep him off the ball a little more. Yeah, um, no, I, you know, hold on, I want, I want to jump in on here because that's a really yeah. good idea. And you texted something about that during the game, and, and and the more I thought about it and watched and stuff, I think you're right because we know what that does for them. It gives them off the ball, essentially, it gives them what Tony Bennett wants, which is to have multiple guys who can handle the ball being able to initiate offense. Now, that's not just, hey – that dude starts the offense also means that when London can come off a screen when he's not at the top of the key and then he can drive from the side a lot. I think it's a it's in that in the way that they run their action. I think it's a lot easier for him to penetrate from the wings off the ball yeah. than it is for him to to, to do it uh, to do it man up straight up top of the key. But it also leaves shooters I think in a better position because he can initiate it. Um, it's not kind of in the heart of it. And he's the guy you trust to make a good decision whether to take or, or kick. So I, I kind of agree with you. And it, you're right. It, it kind of doesn't matter who, who else is around him. You know, they're going to get a good, good, you know, good look. And in a game like this, Shayok shooting the way he does, he's got this, he's got this really nice uh, rhythm to him where he, you know, it's a, it's a one-step dribble kind of shot or, or it's a, something he takes off the catch. Um, Thompson actually, if, if, if folks remember, Second half of the pit game, when Virginia was making its run, before Artis hits those two threes on Shaq that he should not have under any circumstances taken, and I can't even believe he still made them. <laughs> um, I watched those things so many times, it's, not, it's ridiculous. But, but if you remember, there were a couple times, and Thompson just gets to the rim because he just goes. And that was something uh, London talked about um, in his video interview. With, if folks have missed it, check it out on the site. He, he, he said, look, Darius needs to shoot. Like He needs to be aggressive. He needs to stop... You know he's a good shooter, but he needs to he needs to be more aggressive and stop you know kind of passing up stuff. And I would like to see him do that both in terms of his jumper and going to the rim because even though he's not a guy that you think of, he can finish really well. Um, yeah. He's kind of silky the way he does it. You're right. Him and Shaq both. They're never going to be dudes who go and 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 take a pump you know and and kick, kiss one high off the glass and then go to the ground. They're not they're not just going to be that guy. They're always going to be better avoiding the contact. The problem is is it makes the finish harder. And I think for Thompson, at least, it, it, it's something he can do. Um, so I agree with you. I think playing London off the ball a little bit more, it lessens his load, but it also puts him in a position to be a playmaker. 
And I think that's the thing that this team needs the most, right? It's not just scoring, right? I think we, 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 we equate offense to scoring. And that's, there, there, there's obviously correlation there. But the thing they need is playmaking ability. A guy who can put the ball on the deck and either go get you a bucket or get you something in the offense because they started it. And I think that was one of the, the things that that, that, that that game Sunday night really kind of uh, made very clear to me too. Yeah, and you know, I think you know we're what, four games into the ACC now, you know, which is, good Lord, we have a long ways to go. But I, I think at least me as a casual fan, I'm starting to see a little more. You are not a casual fan. Stop it. <laughs> yeah, okay, well, a ridiculous fan. Um you're starting to see a little more of how this team can fit together to utilize everyone's strengths. And, you know, I think with London off the ball, you, you know, you've got so many guys who can run the point when he's mm-hmm. off the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, but you saw it in that second half with Thompson hitting the back-to-back threes. I believe I haven't watched it back, but I believe both of those were off of London getting the ball mm-hmm. later yeah. in the, in the shot clock. Yeah, yeah. Darius is one of those guys who almost needs to be, he needs to have very little time to make a decision. Yep. And you mentioned that on the last podcast. So yep. both of those shots were clean, off, gone, had no time to think about it. Um, and that worked well. And then Shayok is Shayok's kind of the same way. <laughs> you, you, you wish he didn't have much time. But um, I, I think we're starting to see if, you, if you're getting your dependence, you know, if you're getting your consistent scoring from, from London and Devin, then the other pieces – the fact that you don't have that, you know, third big guy is okay. Um, not to get off Virginia, but as you watch the ACC and college basketball this year, like everyone's like this. I mean, there, there's no dominant big man in college basketball anymore. I was taking a quick look at the top scores for the yeah. ACC. There's not a big yeah. man in there. Yeah, I think um, the only the only dominant big I think I can think of is the Swanigan kid um, out at Purdue. I mean, he's really the yeah. only dominant big in the country who you think of and you're like, all right, you're going to have to like adapt your whole game plan around him. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's just Florida State's obviously 4-0 in the league, but they've got two NBA caliber guards and mm-hmm. everyone's, you know, everyone's essentially playing four small. Um, so you're going to see games where teams are cold and, and get beat by teams they shouldn't get beat by. Um, that all said, I, I was encouraged by um, – you know, I think we've got, you know, Isaiah, I still consider him a small. I know that's probably horrible, but that's kind of how I see him. Um, but between Mamadi, Salt, and and Reuter, if Salt just gives us the physicality and Reuter gives us persistence, mm-hmm. and then Mamadi gives us the inconsistency that we see from him, like mm-hmm. flashes of athleticism, mm-hmm. I think we can eventually develop that four and five spot into a into an asset by tournament time. Um because no one else has got it, so it's okay to take some time to develop it. I mean, Carolina's got it, but they're not running their offense to their guys. They're still guard-oriented. So. Right. I think the, 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 the piece that, that I find interesting is is that in a game like this where you were playing a team that had some traditional bigs, right, Who they still weren't necessarily traditional. And I'm, I, I know there's been some discussion about this on the board, but if you look at this, right, so John Collins gets 35 minutes, um, and he's 6'10". Metalagu gets... 27 minutes and he's 6'10 but he doesn't really play like he's 6'10 you know he plays more like a guard than anything else um and so the thing that I find interesting about that uh is that this was a game where you thought maybe you would be able to go with uh with bigger bigs but realistically they played two they played Collins and they played Milagu. 
They didn't play uh, Doral Moore, but literally a minute. Everybody else, six foot six, six foot seven, and and, and smaller. And so even in a game like this where you had a team that had a tra- more traditional kind of lineup, they still didn't play it that way. And so I think, I think Tony would be best served understanding the match. Like he mentioned after the pit game, like, well, you know, that wasn't going to be a matchup for Salt. Well, why did you start him in the first place, you know? Like, and I appreciate that. Like, I appreciate the idea that, like, listen, these are our starters and we're going to go, we're going to go after it. But if you know, okay, this is not going to be a good look for, the, for us because let's be honest, defense is going to, is going to be the thing that dictates for Virginia. And it wasn't like, all right, well, Jack Salt's going to be able to set crazy good screens. Let's go see if he can set crazy good screens against smaller, more, you know, athletic guys. Um, I would like to see Virginia playing those matchups more from the jump and not being afraid to change the starting lineup. Understanding that who you are is not going to necessarily change, but you do have pieces that need to change depending on what they got to match up with, and that's ultimately what he does anyway, right? He, he, he eventually changes, and, and in a game like this, uh, Perantes, Hall, and Wilkins are the one only players who play thirty minutes. Uh, Shayok and um, Salt get twenty each, twenty-five and twenty per, uh, respectively, and then he kind of peppers in the other guys. Um, I would have thought that if Salt was going to give you what he gave you that night that you would have played Reuter more. But he was playing well. And I think that that's a good sign for him. But it's also indicative of what this team needs, which is that there are going to be nights when they need to go more with Salt. And there are going to be nights where they need to go more with Reuter. There are going to be nights when Mamadi Diakite, you just live with the mistakes he makes. Um, or the, the fact that he gets a little lost on offense. Um, you, there are going to be nights when you need to go for a guard, and there are going to be some games where you don't. But I, the point I'm making here is, is that you can't if – you're, if you're a defensive team – Okay, and your big is not an ultra athletic dude who can kind of cover up for his own mistakes, right? Who can kind of well his deficiency is X, but he covers up with that because Y. You're going to have to make that concession multiple times a season. You're just going to have to. I mean, if you look at Salt's minutes, they're a little bit up and down, right? Can he play what four minutes or something uh, in the first half the other night? Um, yeah, I, I think you just have to understand that about your roster, and that's what I see with this team, which is there are lots of things that can overlap, but sometimes overlapping can be a problem if you don't have clearly defined roles. What Virginia needs right now is, to to some extent, clearly defined roles, guys playing with each other on a consistent basis, uh, dictated more so by matchups than just kind of what you would hope would evolve. And I think sometimes Virginia gets bit a little bit trying to hope for something to turn into something maybe you kind of knew going in wasn't probably going to be anything. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I, I think – I'll make a little football analogy here. I mean, I, I constantly talked about how I, I feel like a part of the pack line is just wearing you down over 40 minutes. Um, but if there's two players, I think it doesn't matter as much what their offensive output is. It's going to be Salt and Devin Hall just because of the physicality they bring – for Devin to the wing and for Salt to the post. Just you need to have those guys play 20, 25 minutes a game just to hit the other guy, just to wear him out. It's like the you got Brett Favre at quarterback, um, but you know, you're not running the ball, so they're just gearing for the pass. Like Salt, Salt and Devin are the guys who are just going to wear them down. You know, it's just the necessary running the ball so they respect the <laughs> you know, respect the pass later on. So, yeah. Tony, just how he preaches defense, I think that's why Salt's going to continue to start. I mean, Salt, he's gotten much better this year over last year as far as you know, setting his feet, setting the screens properly. He still gets some questionable foul calls because he, he wants to come down horizontal when he should stay straight up. Um, 
But when you look at our bigs, I mean, Reuter's thick, but he's small. And Salt will just wear you down. <laughs> so he's going to get his minutes. Um, and not to completely diverge from that topic in case you have a response to it. But <laughs> maybe I'm overreaching here. But do you think we've played like the stretch four better this year than we have the last couple of years? You know, it's a good question. I, I don't think so. And the reason for that is, is that I don't think you've seen a game where, where stretch four was was hot. Um, and then somebody went in and cut off his water. You saw that with Malcolm last year and, and, and Ingram. You saw that mm-hmm. uh, at other times as well. I think Devin is doing a really good job of playing much bigger than he is. Uh, the kid is, is, is incredibly strong, but he's clearly gotten a lot more flexible, and, and that's something that has really kind of served him well. I think that what is happening is, is that, though, um, because Virginia is playing more four guard, Follow me here a little bit. Because they're playing more four guard, it puts that stretch four in a position on the other end where they have to move a little bit more. And I think that may be, to your point about grinding teams down, when Virginia tries to speed up the pace and stuff, it's one of those things where they don't get the benefit of making that team play 30 seconds against you know, against their offense. And that, that we all believe, at least, I, I don't know how you would ever prove it, but we all believe at least that that is – um, exponential, you know, that it, it grows and grows and grows and wears on you, wears on you, wears on you. So I wonder if my, my, my gut res- response is that they're not necessarily, it's not necessarily that they're playing the stretch form better. It's that the stretch four is being asked to do things on the other end, maybe that that player might not have been asked to do in the past. And I might be completely wrong about this, but that's just my gut instinct on it. Uh, but I do, I, I see what you mean. Like uh, Milagu in this game, I mean, he made, what, one three? But he only took three. Um, yeah, it was early, too. You know, I mean, it was one of those things where I thought he was never in a position to really get going. And and I think Virginia was partly for that. But I also think that what they did as a team um, was, you know, offensively was important in that, too. Yeah, my gut is it's just Tony is going to the four, the four small lineup a lot faster than he ever has, you know, year to year this year. Um my fandom is hoping that Jay Huff is just tearing him up so bad in practice they figured out how to defend it. But um, you know, it, it does seem that, you know, it just the game has changed. I mean, we don't have an Anthony Gill. You don't have a Mike Toby, um, who, by the way, like you look at the league this year, and even Mike Toby would probably be one of the best bigs in the league this year. Um, so it's just the game has just changed so much um, year to year. And not to, I'm going to go all old man on you because I complain about the three-point line all the time. But in team, the average player is shooting over 40% from three. So unless your big is shooting 70% from two, he's no better than that guard. So I don't know if the game's going to continue to change like that. And you're just going to – you know, it's hard to be dominant when you depend on the three. But, um, you know, unless you're – I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm just just blows me away when you see just the number of teams that are so heavy perimeter oriented this year. Um, I mean, I won't say it's the the most I've ever seen, but at least in the no, ACC since the expansion, I, I don't have. A, I don't have a, like, and I, look, I, if you well, I haven't watched it, enough of the other conferences to say that's that, true. But, but I will say the uh, it's the most I've ever seen the ACC, and and I'll, I'll make this point: Pitt can put like six dudes. Right, is it six more? Hold on, give me a second. Seven. Pitt can put uh, can put 
a six, uh, let's see, a six seven, a six eight, a six nine, a six eight, and a six six out there, and then bring a six nine off the bench. Okay, so that's one, two, three, four, five, six dudes in between six six and six nine. Okay, right, and they can basically play positionless basketball. If you can build a team where you have enough um, mix of skills that you don't need a true big, you don't need a center, right? You can essentially say we're not gonna we're not we're not gonna play that, right? You can use six foot nine, two hundred thirty five pound Michael Young as like a center guard or guard center or a center point or whatever you want to call it. That, hey, more power to you. But most of the time, you're just not gonna be able to do that, and you're certainly not gonna be able to consistently, as we're seeing Pitt struggle, if they don't shoot the three ball. At the tune to what they shot against UVA, they're in trouble, right? I mean, what, they're getting dogged tonight uh, in Louisville, um, largely because they're not shooting the three very well. And when they start to shoot the three a little bit better, they, they make a little run. But that's what they have to do. And I think that on some level, yes, we live in an age of Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant and all these people that can shoot the three, and that's great. But that team even i mean we'll we'll have to wait and see what happen with, happens with Durant later but that team lost who did they lose to a team that had a more balanced uh, version of of things right lebron and, and the cavaliers can get up and down but they can play defense on you and that was what really stymied um the the warriors so we do we live in an age where the bigger kids are being taught from a younger age and it's definitely being harped on from a younger age to do more um, from the perimeter, and that's not going to change. It's not like all of a sudden you're going to wake up one day and the centers are going to be back. But what I do think is, is that the, it's going to be the teams that have that six foot ten, six foot eleven bouncy kid who can move, right? Or even a six eight, six nine guy who can play vol- multiple positions, but isn't necessarily just trying to get it from the three guys who are who are working on the block because those are still higher percentage shots. And, yeah. and for a team like Virginia, when you play. You're not going to get the possessions that you need to make your shooters got to shoot guys get enough looks that if they're having a rough night, they're not going to be a factor. If Pitt goes out and shoots the way that Pitt has shot against Syracuse and against um, Louisville tonight, they lose that game and they lose that game poor, badly, badly. It's a poor, poor showing. That's I, I see where the league is going, and I think Tony has <laughs> has. Literally the best two weapons you could think of, right? In Dre and Jay. And what I mean by that is that that Dre is six foot, probably nine at this point, who is essentially a guard, right? And Jay is a seven foot guard, right? But they're both going to be playing a defense where they can play a set position. And that's going to put the other teams at a significant disadvantage. And you're going to surround them with guys like Guy, and Jerome, um, and Marco Anthony, um, and, and Mamdi Diakite, that, that all of them have skill sets that f- kind of fit together. And so I think that in this day and age, teams like Virginia have got to have, have got to have, have got to have like the big man who can move, but the big man who can shoot. And so in essence, yeah. it's, it's coming to Virginia too. It's just going to be done also with a defensive mindset. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, it kind of plays into the way Tony recruits. I mean, our defense, you, you, when the wings – look, you'd rather have a guy 6'6 six, six with a 7-foot wingspan than a guy 6'8 with short arms um, just because you're, you're going to help and then you're going to recover. And that's probably the one of the things none of us appreciated enough about Justin and, and Malcolm while they were here is just their length made it so much easier for them to recover. They didn't need 
look, Malcolm's doing great in the NBA, I mean, no doubt about it. But he's not doing it because of foot speed. He's doing it because of his overall athleticism, which is tied to his length and his, and, and, he, and everything he's exactly else. Exactly a dummy. I mean, he's pretty good. No, like, no, he understands yeah. the game. Yeah. So you look at a guy like Dre. I mean, Dre's got a great. He's got a tremendous wingspan, and I was kind of joking with uh, another guy off, off air the other day about how if Dre was on this team right now, he'd be a huge help defensively more than offensively, even though before the season when we talked about his ability, it was his ability to shoot the three that was surprising right, the coaches. Right, um, right. And in Mamadi, we get some of that four too, but Mamadi is kind of that defenseless, uh, positionless big man that you're talking about on the defensive end, and I don't think we've quite figured out how to use him yet. Well, I think Mamadi's um, problem right now is that he still, as Tony likes to say, he still he still hasn't played a lot of basketball. And so there are moments in certain situations, like at Pitt, he was, you could tell when he wasn't on the floor because the thing just started to look different. But when he was out there, the thing worked a lot better. That was not the case against Wake. I mean, the, he just seemed a little bit, um, you know, like he was treading water a little bit. There are going to be games where I, I think he fits and there are going to be games where he struggles, and that's just the nature of the beast. But I, I do think that every minute you play him um, – I think is an investment, as I've said on on, in, on the site. One thing that I, that I have heard some of is that there's lots of talk about Mamadi and maybe even starting him. But I agree with you from earlier that I think you, you, you start Jack when it makes sense because he is a very good screener. He seems to be doing better um, at the little things, which if you're not going to be able to pump the ball into a big and, and have him you know with his back to the basket making moves, what you do want him to do is clean up on the offensive glass, make some free throws, make life tough, don't foul – you know, uh, to a, to a great degree, stay on the floor, uh, and I think Jack did a very good job of that the other night. Um, a, as I look forward with this team, I I, I kind of can see what you're coming from on you know that Dre could his length would help. I think we also have to understand too though that one of the reasons he's redshirting is because physically, his even though he's got length, it's it's he, he needs to add strength, and I don't know oh, yeah. if yeah. if it's right for because I think for sometimes. Especially no, I'm not asking like, not to redshirt him. I think it's no, no, a good decision. Yeah, no. Just, but, I, but I know, I know. But I think for some fans, that two-game losing streak, you started thinking like, "Oh man, wh- why did we make a wrong move by redshirting these kids?" It's it's always when you know the backup quarterback is always the most pa- popular player, right? It's always the the idea that like you're going to get the best of what that kid could be. But if anything, think about the Austin Nichols thing, right? Like you never got the best of what he was. Virginia never saw anything close to it. Right, I do not know who you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but my point is, is that when we think of Dre, yeah, his length could help defensively, but also at the same time, he would have given up X, Y, and Z, much like I think Diakite does. Yeah, um, and so you would have some ebbs and flows, and it wouldn't be consistent nor static, and that would be problematic. Um, last thing before we, we wrap up tonight, I want to talk about the league in general. Um, right now, uh, in across the ACC, uh, it, it's clearly. Um, it's clearly a weird year. Um, there's no doubt in my mind. You got Florida State at sixteen and one. You got Notre Dame at fourteen and two. Carolina just behind them at fourteen and three. Then Virginia uh, twelve and three. Duke fourteen and three. But then you look at the conference records, right? And you got some some weirdness in there. Now some of it seems to have kind of come back a little bit, right? FSU's four and zero. Notre Dame's three and zero. Uh, Carolina two and one. There are four two and twos: Virginia, Duke, Tech, and Syracuse. Um, Wake Forest, Boston College, Georgia Tech still bringing up the rear. I expected Louisville to be better. I expected Syracuse to be about where they are now, but not necessarily where they were 
few weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Um, yeah, right? And then just kind of all of a sudden came out of nowhere. How? What are your thoughts right now on the, the state of the league and, and kind of where things are? Well, the weirdest thing to me when you look at the stats is that we're four games in and not a single team is winless in the conference. Like, that's the most impressive thing to me. Like, there's always one or two guys yeah, at the bottom true. who you're just beating up on. Right. But everyone's got a win already. Um, I mean, Boston College did not have a win all last year, right? Did they not go 0 and 16? And we'll check that. Uh, I believe because I believe correct. Boston College went 0 and 18, went winless in football and basketball last oh, oh, the yeah. year before oh, last. Yeah. 0 and 18 in the ACC a year ago. Yeah, so I mean, we're four games in, and that record is safe. Um, and then you you look at the teams at the top. Notre Dame always seems to start well, um, just because of the way they play. And you know, I, I think Florida State would be the surprise of the league right now. Not so much that they're four and zero; it's just the way they've done it. Um, but you know, it, it's for me, it, it's kind of like last year. Virginia's down at the bottom of the the rankings. Um, I think the. I mean, let's be honest. From the fans' perspective, the biggest reason this year we felt a little more panicky than last year, other than the roster change, was the fact that Virginia Tech was doing well to start the year. Like, it's one thing to lose when Virginia Tech is 0-4, but when they were playing well, it, it hurt the Virginia fan. Um, but we went, what, one win Sunday night. We jumped up non-spots, essentially, in the standings. Um, but it continues to go. It looks like Carolina is going to get a well, Carolina is going to get a win at Wake Forest this year, but it's still going to be you know, holding holding serve at home and and winning a game on the road, um, winning games on the road. And even though we're two and two, we have and lost a game at home. We have one 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 on the road. So yeah, the league is what it is. It's it's very guard dependent, and there's going to be some surprising results as the year goes on. I don't know that any team's going to win 14 games this year. I think Florida State's got a chance. Um, they do, but yeah, I mean they're know, so guard at, dependent though. Sit, well, that's true. Sitting at four and zero, at sixteen and one overall, uh, they just obviously just beat Duke at home. They're going to Carolina on Saturday afternoon uh, in uh, in Chapel Hill, and then they get Notre Dame and Louisville. So we will know a lot more about um, the Knowles over the next week and a half than we do now. Um, I'm not sure what to make of Notre Dame because I did not expect Notre Dame to be all that great. Um, clearly, Bonzi Colson has, has stepped up his game dramatically. Um, I expected the Beecham kid to be the one that would be taking the leap, but not uh, not Bonzi. But Bonzi's playing, obviously, pretty well. Um, they've won their first three um, uh, games in the, in, the, in the conference. They play at Miami tomorrow night, and they get to Virginia Tech on Saturday. And that's a weird kind of twofer for them, um, considering the, the style of play that they want to play. Um, and what I thought was interesting is how many free throws they give up. Um, they're horrible when it comes to giving up, um, you know, the percentage of, of, of free throws that they give up um, that teams store against them. So I wonder, I, I feel like maybe next week when we talk about, um, talk about the league and talk about hoops, I wonder what we'll say about Notre Dame. But I think the thing that stands out to me is, like you said, that there is not um, – even the good team struggled out of the gate, you know, that was that first weekend. And then it's, it's taken a little while for things to kind of settle down a little bit. Um, this game Saturday might be to me. Um, I don't want to say like a, like a, I feel in some ways like it could be a must win, but it's hard to say that when the team is, you know, 12 and three, but 
you're going to get Clemson, Boston College, Georgia Tech, and then you got to start a stretch where you go to Notre Dame, to Villanova, obviously out of conference, and then you're going to get Tech at home, Syracuse on the road, Louisville at home, Tech on the road, Duke at home, Carolina on the road, Miami at home, NC State on the road, Carolina at home, Pittsburgh on the, at home. That is, there are no gimmies in there. You're not getting two games against Boston College. You're getting one game. You know, the, these next three, Virginia's got to find a way to win. Clemson's going to be one of the best teams, better teams that they're going to play because I think of the environment as well as Jerome Blossom game, him being historically a really bad matchup for UVA. Um, so that's why Saturday to me is a huge deal. Um, and these next three, I think Virginia's got to find a way to win because, like I said, that gauntlet that's going to get thrown starting on that Tuesday, uh, January 24th, is just brutal. I mean, it's just brutal. Now, Kim Palm right now has Virginia winning all of those games except the one at Villanova, the one at Carolina, and that's it. He has the the win probability. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean he's predicting them to go, uh, you know, what, 20, 26 and whatever. Um, but it does mean that he does expect them to, you know, that in a game-by-game basis that that's the, the situation they're in. Um, win probability. Clemson, 54%. So, I mean, he's seen that thing as a complete toss-up. Uh, the Notre Dame game, even though he's got Virginia winning, 54% complete toss-up. Um couple games in the 60s uh the losses are 34 and 38 so not not too terrible so i feel like this thing is going to be tight and it's going to be tight the whole way through which is i and honestly one of the reasons why i thought it was really cool that the that the upperclassmen stepped up the other night because they're gonna need to play well like they need these guys with experience to be the ones you know with the expectations on their shoulders and so from a Virginia standpoint, man, the conference is crazy. But that partly could be as much due to that Virginia just doesn't necessarily have the horses with as much experience and size as they've had in the past. Um, and there is a little bit of a change in the guard. And, and I mean, I, look, if Virginia ends up, you know, a two or three seed this season, that's 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 great. I mean, honestly, that's great um, for what where this program is and, and the talent they got coming. This you know that's in the in the pipeline and everything. I, I think that's really strong. Um, I would I would like to see them have as much success as possible because I run a website that covers Virginia sports, but I, I I think it's good for them if that if that's where they are and if they're on the outside of that that's not a terrible thing you know I, I don't think the wheels are going to come off you got a good coach you got you know a lot of talent on the roster you got probably one of the problems that you have is you have too much and you're trying your best to kind of feel through that as well as develop guys so it's going to be a crazy crazy season and the thing is going to be extremely tight. Um, I'll be really interested to see how they play Saturday. Um, luckily, um, the as long as the parade on Saturday doesn't kill me, um, I will be in Little John to see the the new the newly the new digs and to cover the game. So should be a good one down in uh, in Clemson. Um, with that, I think it's a good place to put a pen in it for the week. I want to thank Dave for giving me uh, forty five minutes of his time. I think is today your daughter's birthday. It is. She's seven. I've had enough of them by now. <laughs> no, no, no. Happy birthday, Riley. <laughs> if you should ever listen to this podcast. Um, so I appreciate Dave giving me some time. Hopefully Ferber's up there uh, recuperating, and he'll be back on the show next week. And I want to thank everybody out there for giving us a listen. As always, thanks for supporting the show, and thanks for uh, continuing to, to give me positive and negative feedback. I appreciate it all. Uh, so for David Spence, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.